from the Teradata Pulse Real-Time Operations Center in San Diego, California. This is Datacast. Well, hello. Who are you? I am Rob Armstrong. I'm a senior technologist in the Teradata Technology and Innovation Office. You had something very important you wanted to talk about today. Yes, and I've been talking about it for quite some time. And so I thought it would be a great idea to get this out on a podcast. And it's all this idea of the circle and the square. Really, I guess it's an analogy or a picture image, if you will, that it's a very complex topic on how to handle your data and analytics in a very robust environment. And so I've distilled it down to its essence, and I've made it basically two pictures, the circle and the square, all you need to know in two slides. That sounds too good to be true, (laughs) honestly. So the circle and the square is something that you would bring to a customer, for example, to help them think about their data and analytics problems? It's uh, actually something I've been talking with customers. We'll be talking a lot about uh, some complex issues, ingestion, how do you manage data, how do you get the right tools for the right processing. And during those conversations, I'll say, well, let's just bring it down to the basics. So I don't go in with the circle and square. Mm -hmm. I get to the circle and square and say, let's just get to the basics so we all agree on what we're trying to do and come to an agreement on how to talk about it. The circle and the square sounds very visual. Do you think we can do this in an audible medium? I think that we can do this over a conversation. It is very visual. I will point out that we have a blog about this that just recently went out on teradata.com in the blog section. So maybe it's a companion piece. Take a look at the pictures and the visuals there. Oh, good. So folks can Google Teradata circle and square and, and find that. Great. Well, let's start with the circle part. The circle's pretty simple, is that when I'm talking with customers, they start talking about all the different types of data that they have, and all the different places it comes from, and all the different places it needs to go. And one of the big questions that comes across is, how do I manage, and how do I know how to manage all this data? So I draw a circle, and in that circle, I make a bunch of dots. It's a chocolate chip cookie now. Uh Basically, it's your universe of data. And if you think about it, the outside edge of the circle is the rawest data, just data in its raw form, as is, no governance, no cleansing, no whatever. And as you move towards the center of the circle, you get to the purest form of data. It is completely governed, it's completely accurate, it's totally integrated, and some would argue there's no such thing as the center because there's no data that would fill that point. (laughs) So that's as you're coming in from the circle from one edge, it goes into the middle. Now, you really could just have this be a line, but a circle is much better uh, uh, of an object because you don't just have one dimension of data, you have data coming from all different places as well. You have sales data, you have uh, marketing data, you have manufacturing data, you have social data. So the circle is really the sweep, if you will, Mm -hmm. from the center, the radius is giving you that uh, continuum, and then it just goes around all your business, right? It incorporates the entire span of your business. I imagine that even that process of creating that circle for a company probably may take weeks. Well, it could take weeks, and this is where part of the conversation goes is, do you even know what data you have? Just understand there is a circle. Whether you create it or not, there is a circle. So I have this spectrum of of purest data to cleanest data, right, or raw data to clean data, 
And the question is, how do you know if your data is at the right spot on that continuum? Wouldn't you want all of your data to be as good as possible, as close to the center as possible? Well, that was the old thinking. The old thinking was the only data you ever use is data that's, that's in the center. But the problem became is that that center becomes expensive to manage. The oversight and the process of getting data to the center is very expensive. And you don't know if that data has value or not unless you use it. So data that you don't use frequently, why are you going to put it towards the center? Why are you going to take the pain and effort of getting the data to the center if there's no value? I see. So what you have is a value continuum. And the way you know that the data is in the right place in your continuum is, is the effort to get it there outweighed by the value of having it there. I see. And so to determine that, you might have to do some experiments with the data. You'll constantly do experiments with the data. And what you do is you start with data in its raw form. And you may have a few people bring it into a a data lake or an S3 or some platform, very cheap storage. Don't want to spend a lot to store it right now. So I let it be out there. I have three, four crazy data scientist people play with it to see if there's any interesting tidbits there. Excellent. And can non-crazy data scientists also help I don't know if there are any (laughs) non-crazy data scientists, but yes, they could as well. Uh, They should maybe talk with some business people and say, we have this data, Uh here's some ideas we're coming up with, and you're trying to find some value. Now, once that happens, and you go, you know what, there does seem to be some value here. But if we can combine this data, so let's say it's social data, and I'm mining social data for sentiment, you go, well, now that I've got that, what if I connected the sentiment to what the customer actually does? So maybe I want some customer demographics. Maybe I want to know where they live. Maybe I want to know what they do for a living or how much money they make. So maybe I can get some demographics from many different public companies to find out what are the demographics of the different areas of the country. And now I'm starting to integrate data. When I start to integrate data, I have to make sure that data is integratable, which means that the connective uh, pieces of data, right, that I'm going to join upon actually can join. In your circle, do you indicate the relationships? No, not, not at this. It's not for that. Not at this initial stage. I see. This initial stage when I talk about it is simply to get people to understand there are many different types of data that have many different types of relationship, and you need to manage based on value to drive the data until you finally get it all the way in. There's a high value to it. A lot of people are using it. Uh, It's it's repetitive. Maybe the CEO is sending uh, signals to the street off of this data. It better be good because there's a high value to it. So there's a high need to make sure it's quality data. So that pushes it towards the center. Oh, so the circle could actually, well, it will change over time. It constantly changes over time. And that's the whole point. Now, the question is, how do I decide how it changes over time? And the way you do that is, again, by the prioritization, the value is that as I find data that's out towards the edge that needs to be integrated, well, that may mean I need to cleanse it a little bit may mean I need to normalize it a little bit or I need to reconcile it a little bit so that it joins with other pieces of data. 
And then I find another subject area that could be useful to bring into my analytics. Well, now again, I have more data points that connect. And so as you start to drive more connectivity, then you prioritize which data set am I going to give more governance to, more regulation, more oversight to, until it gets to the, to the middle. But it's not a one-way conversation because some data loses value over time. And at that point, you go, why am I governing it? Why am I managing it? Why am I storing it in a high-value, uh, highly fault-tolerant environment? Maybe I can move some data out to a lower storage platform, or I just stop managing it as tightly as I used to because the value's not there. Gotcha. So this can also help you reduce costs then. It's all around, and this is a term that we're starting to use, managing by value. And managing by value implies that if you don't know the value of something, you shouldn't be managing it well, <laughs> mm. right? And that you only manage to the point of which the value dictates. Can this help you identify uh, gaps? It certainly could help you identify gaps because as you look and, and as data moves more towards the center of the circle, you start to see, well, where else, what other business problems can I solve with this? Do I even get that data? Do I collect that data? And then what you'll say is, well, I do collect it, but I don't collect it in a rich enough form that I actually do something with it. And I'll give you an example. Uh, we've had our conferences, and we had RFID badges, and so we know where people are and where what the schedule is. So now we want to know where the right people in the right rooms. Okay, great. This was first, second year we've started to do this. And what we found when we looked at the data is we may not be collecting the data in the form that's useful to actually analyze the data. No company's ever had that problem before. <laughs> and so now we're going back and saying, what gaps do we have to reach the conclusions we need to get to make the decisions to drive our outcomes? So it identifies the gaps, identifies the prioritization, identifies uh, what one of my colleagues call the minimal viable uh, curation of data. You know, what I want to curate it as little as possible to meet the need I have to have. That's an interesting concept. You don't want to overmanage the data disproportionate to its value. Exactly. And that is what happened in the past is, and this is why people, when they had their data warehouses, they say, oh, they're big, they're complex, they're expensive, and I can't get any data into it. Because a business user would come in and say, I have new data, please put it into the warehouse for me. And IT would say, great, we're going to spend six months understanding, managing, modeling, and integrating it. And then when I get the estimate, I go, well, wait, I'm not even sure what the business value is of this data because I haven't even looked at it yet. Yes. And so it's seen as it's too expensive to put data in so we won't do anything with it. So this kind of led to the rise of the Hadoops and the S3s of low-cost storage for this day and the data lakes. Just put it somewhere and let people look at it. And that kind of expanded our universe or our circle, if you will, of the data environment. The data universe. And the pendulum may have swung too far in the other direction. The problem was when people first started with the whole data lake world and just, just get the data and don't worry about it is everyone said the don't worry about it part means don't manage it, don't look at it, don't clean it. And everyone thought, well, this is great. There's no cost to storing it, but there was a massive cost to using it. So again... It's all about that balance. It's all about the balance and understanding that. So I have to understand, obviously, cost, but I have to understand value. But I don't get to understand value until I actually use the data to drive something valuable. 
that makes a frightening amount of sense. <laughs> All right, so that's our circle. Yes, and, and again, it's a very simplistic conversation, and I do it on a whiteboard or on a piece of paper or something, just to get people to understand the complexity is certainly there, but there's a simplistic message in it. All right, so let's talk about the square. So now I've got a square, and obviously you know, it's a round peg in a square hole is what everyone talks about, but that's kind of how we came up with this. Uh, and by the way, you can put a round peg in a square hole. <laughs> sure. Just, just depends on dimensions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the square is all around analytics. So the circle is all about data. The square is all about analytics. Oh, okay. So the square is divided basically into a two-by-two two matrix. So again, well done on a whiteboard or piece of paper, but uh, I think the visual's easy enough that people can think of a two-by-two sure, two two square. Two. Yeah. Okay. On the bottom axis, I talk about the different types of data that you have, right? And this kind of comes from our circle conversation. And you have data that is, I call it relationally friendly. It's well-known, well-behaved, fits nicely in tables and columns, uh, works well with set theories, all these fun things. It's relationally friendly. And then you have data that's not relationally friendly. So that data has no model or is a constantly changing model, or you really can't, you know, maybe it's video. You can't really put that into a table, uh. right? So it's data that's different and is not relationally friendly. On the y-axis, the, the other side of the square, you have analytics. And I broke analytics simply into relationally friendly and relationally unfriendly again. I know there's no such thing as people saying relationally friendly analytics, right? I get it's not an industry term, but it's a Rob term. And you'll explain it a little bit for us. I will explain it a little bit for us. So relationally friendly analytics to me is data that is uh, you know, probably SQL-based, it's set theory, right? it's relational theory, and I can use the traditional SQL methodologies to access the data and manipulate the data. Okay. It's not programming and processing and you know, if-then loops and all of this. It's relationally friendly. The other is obviously the unfriendly relational analytics. And that is, as I say, analytics is probably more processing-based. Maybe this is some of the AI world or the data uh, scientist-heavy analytics. Um, set theory doesn't work as well. You, so this is, this is a different type of processing. Well, you mentioned the video. So if you were trying to identify objects within video, uh, that would go into that bucket. That would go into uh, that bucket, yes. So now we look at this square, and we go, well... What do I use to drive analytics against relationally friendly data with relationally friendly analytics? If I'm going to run some max, min, average, you know, group by or something like that, and I have relationally friendly data that's in a table, I want a SQL engine. Right? I want a database that has an optimizer, right? that has all these fun things. Uh, and that is what I would put down in that bottom square. In the bottom left square is a SQL engine, a mm. database mm -hmm. of some sort. Okay, so that, and that's pretty obvious. You know, and that's the bulk of most people's processing. Moving up, because that's just the easy way to do it, uh -huh. I say I have relationally friendly data, well-known, well-behaved data, but I need to do some higher analytics on it. I need to do data that's beyond SQL. 
And so what I need is a different engine. I don't need a SQL engine. I need a machine learning engine, a graph engine, or some other type of processing engine that's simply going to have access to the data. So in that case, I'll give you an example of this. Um, if you do uh, propensity or uh, association market basket analysis, something like that, it's not really fun in SQL to do these types of analytics. You need a different paradigm, a different processing paradigm to make this happen. And so there are tools in machine learning that have these types of uh, functions. And rather than doing multiple passes of your largest table and reflexively joining it together, they do a different type of uh, processing paradigm where they can pass through it once and get the, the, the relationships regardless of how many there are. So it's much faster to process, much more efficient to process, and, and then it becomes much more repeatable which is exactly what you want to be able to drive with these analytics, is repeatability. Because once I have repeatability, I can now have operationalization. And that's what I need to get to, is be able to repeat it on demand at scale. And that, that $3 word really just means being able to put it into production so that everybody in the company can take advantage of it without necessarily knowing the details of how yes, it works. I, I don't want to have to have everyone has to go to Fred in our analytics group uh -huh. to make this happen. <laughs> because Fred doesn't scale. Fred does not scale. Not only that, I can't have it run. In fact, this was an actual use case because I ran it in SQL. I took the fun route, right, the good route, and did the SQL, and it ran about 18 hours, which seemed reasonable to the people asking the question, but then they said, great, could we get this every hour? No. I doubt you're going to get it every day, right? <laughs> so, but if I can get it down to where it runs in 30 minutes, yes, I can give you this every hour. So that's that repeatability and operationalization. So that's our top part of the square. So let's look at the other part of the square, which is the unfriendly data, right? The relationally And this unfriendly. is the bottom left of the, the square. The bottom right. And this is the bottom right of the square. <laughs> Yes, yeah. is what I meant depending to say. on which side of the square you're looking at, oh, okay. I guess. Uh, so this is the relationally unfriendly data. Right? I've got uh, text, video, um, unstructured data, social media coming through and all of this. So it's data that doesn't fit nicely into a, a relational format or relational model. Or I don't want to spend the time to model it. Oh, that's interesting. So even if it's data that could be represented relationally, you just don't want to put the time into creating those models. Yes, and I may not have the, the value out of it yet. So this is data I'm just going to, to have out. Now, if I want to run relationally friendly analytics off of that, right, I want to run some SQL analytics off of it, I want to basically be able to bring that data from wherever I'm going to store it, because I'm not storing it in a relational database. I'm going to bring it in from an S3 bucket or a Hadoop data lake or something like that. And I'm going to bring it into my SQL engine to process. So what we need there is the ability to access that data through something like a foreign table, or we have something called Query Grid, which allows you to access that. So the analytic function, the SQL function, can reach out to the foreign server, foreign database or foreign table, if you will, whatever nomenclature, bring the data in for processing. The important part is we don't instantiate the data. We don't persist the data when we bring it in because then we're starting to have multiple copies of it, which increases the cost. There was a reason why we didn't put it in the database, in the SQL database, to begin with. Gotcha. So we're applying order on read. Yes, and we're applying the model on read. 
which works fine until, as we say, we were just talking about that, until I'm going to have this happen millions and millions of times a day. Then I may say, I'm doing this so frequently, I may want to take the time now to model it up front. So, and then again, then we go back to our circle conversation. And it moves in the square because it's become relationally friendly data. Yes, yeah. So all this kind of starts to work together. And the last uh, quadrant is the data that's non-relationally friendly with analytics that are non-relationally friendly. This is just craziness. As you say, I have a video, and I want to understand the path through my video and predict where people are going to be. Uh, or I want to um, uh, do sentiment analytics on uh, voice recording. Right? So and I need to know amplitude and all of that. That's where I just need... The data has to be accessible, and I have to have engines that allow it to be processed. Now, in the past, what most people would do is extract data out, put it in their own data storage, have their own tools and languages, and be able to do this. With our Vantage environment, we have all these different engines within the same environment, the same analytic platform, and that platform has access to all the different data storage environments. Yeah, I mean, our goal is to be the square. Our goal is to allow the square to exist in harmony. Because if you don't do that, then what you do is you end up with each quadrant being its own square. So our whole, right, which is four little squares. What I want is one square that has four quadrants, not four quadrants. That Right, we are trying to create fewer silos. Yes, because what we learned in the past, and uh, if you've listened to my other podcast is that you know silos were never the answer because silos create confusion, they create cost, uh, and they create complexity, and that's what we want to get away from. Yeah, and and multiple sources of truth, I imagine, cause a lot of a lot of problems when it comes to just management. Uh, multiple sources of truth means there is no truth <laughs> because everyone thinks they are the truth. Uh huh. So uh, my truth is not your truth. That's right. Well, let's look at the data. Oh, uh, that explains it. I've often said, uh, you know, people sit in meetings and they argue about which number's right. I said, you know, I've never been in that meeting because I know whose number's right. Mine. (laughs) (laughs) You all have the right to be wrong, but you need to realize that. So the circle and square really does start to drive new capability for companies because they start processing and managing by value and allows them to start to explore new and creative problems that they need to solve without incurring the complexity of the ecosystem. And that's the problem most people have is they're trying to build very complex systems to overcome very simplistic problems. And I think it was Einstein said it. I've seen this attributed to a lot of people, but it's any idiot can build a complex solution. It takes true genius to drive simplicity, and that's what you're looking for. So that's why I have a simple message to get people on the right conversations to be able to then have how do we solve these and how do we work within our environment. Rob, thank you for telling us about the circle and the square. No problem. And now when people say you can't put a square peg in a round hole, tell them, well, you're wrong. And then point them to this episode. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) This has been Datacast. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like the show, you can help us out by reviewing it in your podcast app of choice and by recommending it to friends. All they need to do is search for Teradata or Datacast in their favorite podcast app. 
To learn more about how Teradata transforms how businesses work and how people live through the power of data, visit us at teradata.com.